me, um, if you've got a Bible with you or on your phone, I'm just going to read, um, going to read a section, but I'm just going to home in on one of them um, tonight. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 6 and verse 17. So for some of you, oh yeah, I know, I know the Beatitudes. That might be there and you're thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I've probably got the spread here. So let me hopefully give us all something, whether it's um, something new or something um, familiar. So in verse 17, we, we pick up this. Jesus has, has chosen his 12 disciples on a mountain. Then it says, he goes down with them and stood in a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Can you, can you picture that just for a moment? Like, what did that look like? Everyone who touched him was healed. And it was becoming such a thing that people were pressing in. Really, just, if I can just touch him, if I can just do that, then I might be healed. Pretty phenomenal thing that was going on there. Then he looks at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. That would have got people's attention. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. What? For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. Doesn't feel very blessed when that's happening, does it? When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. And that's you, actually, by the way, and me. Do you realize if you live in Australia, we have the highest median wealth on the planet, number one in the world. Wealth is spread evenly, more than any other country in the world. Whereas Indonesia, where you guys mainly sponsor, has the highest inequality of wealth in Southeast Asia and sixth in the world. That means there's a few people who've got a lot of wealth and then a huge number of those of people in poverty. Not only does that mean wealth, it brings equality into jobs, education, healthcare, it goes across the board. And it's incredibly difficult to help a country out of poverty when that inequality exists. So we're, we're rich. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all, all men speak well of you. Is that not how their fathers treated the false prophets? But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to the other also. Turn them to the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your, your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. 
Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So that's easy. Just go out there and do that. They're tough words, aren't they? It's upside down. It's back to front. It's inside out. It's all kind of round the wrong way. And can you imagine people hearing these words for the first time? They're going, really? Really? Are you for real? And yet they're looking at this power going out from him, people being healed, saying, there's something about this guy. And yet these words, what are you talking about? So um, if you can go on to that next slide, um, I, I, try and, I try to condense something to one word. I really struggled. I couldn't get this to one word. So I've got a phrase, happy are the hungry. So just to try and stick this message so you remember what it's about. If your neighbor or a friend says, well, they talk about at church, I talked about happy are the hungry. And they're going to go, really? Happy are the hungry. Well, they kind of don't normally go together, do they? Would you, would you say happy are the hungry? No. No, we'd say happy are the satisfied. Happy are the well-fed. You know, happy are the, those who are enjoying a good meal or, or for us about to. You know? When I walked in, um, I mentioned the lasagna thing already, I, I walked, got in home after being here this morning. My wife was, was cooking lasagna. We had some people over and I walked in and I could smell it and, and I was hungry. And it's kind of like I knew I was going to be fed. My wife's like that. You know, she's just not going to say, no, you're not going to eat that. This is just for us, you know. And so we kind of think that way, kind of happy are those who are about to get a good meal. But not happy are the hungry. All right, I better use some notes. Otherwise, I know what happens. I will go everywhere. Um, Let me read this um, statement to you. This is from N.T. Wright. He says, Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present that will make sense in God's promised future. I'm going to read that again. You've got to try and get your head around it because it's backwards. It's a summons of how to live now that, that makes sense because of what God has promised because that future has already arrived in Jesus. What are you talking about? So there is a future that we have to look forward to in heaven, where everything is going to be right. Okay, that makes sense, doesn't it? But there is also the sense where that is already happening. Your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven as on earth. So because of what Jesus has done, that should be already happening in the way that we live, when we come to faith in Christ. So that's really important that we learn to live out what this means because there's a future to come which is out there and there's already a future, there's a future that's out there that's, that we can live in now because of Jesus. And you're thinking, oh, you lost me, Simon, I'm sorry. It, it, well, hopefully it will come clearer as we unpack this a little bit further. In these Beatitudes, we went to... Um, you know, blessed or, or happy are those who are poor. I think, no, that makes sense. Happy are those who are hungry. Happy are those who weep. They're not talking about different people. It's not like, right, this, this beatitude, this phrase is for those who are poor, and this one is for those who are hungry, and this one is for those who are crying. No, it's the same group. It's for all of us. It's 
it's saying the same thing in a different way because different phrases will capture different people. Does that make sense? It's all for the same people. It's all for us. I like this. Another um, theologian said this, familiar with the story of the prodigal son. You know, he's, he's taken his inheritance early from his father. He's gone off, squandered the lot, lost everything, and then he's got a job feeding pigs. So for a Jew, that's pretty the lowest of the low. And he's watching and looking at the, the pigs and what they're eating, the pig food, and he's hungry and he longs to eat the pig food. And this theologian says this. I love what he says. When he was hungry, he longed for the pig food. But when he was starving, he went home to his father's house. I love that. That was when he got to that point of his starvation. He was so hungry. He thought, what am I doing here longing for pig food when I know what my father's like? And he went home. And that's, in a sense, what's here in this passage. is saying when you're really hungry, when you're starving, then, then you're a person who's ripe to really understand the kingdom of God. When you're really hungry, when you're really weeping, when you're really stuck, then you will understand For me, as a as a, as a parent, um, when my kids got when they were, my kids were younger, when they came home from school, there was one thing they wanted to do before anything else. Any guesses? Eat. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Even now, when my adult kids, particularly my sons, come around to our house, which they do frequently, there is there is one place they go to first. It's something they open. Where do they go? The fridge. <laughs> And I remember my, one of my sons was just standing there looking in the fridge, and I said to him, uh, "I said, Ben, what are, um, what are you looking for?" He said. I don't know really, it's just what you do when you come in. <laughs> and there is kind of seeing what's there, what's on, on offer. Why? Because they're hungry. Because they're hungry and they want to be satisfied, they want to be filled so they know where to go. So really, the problem comes with this thing, we get stuck if we just say, happy are the hungry. Now that's not true. It's the next bit goes with it. Happy are the hungry, for they will be filled. They go together. So it's not an odd phrase. It's actually one, if you really realize that you're hungry, God is so generous and he's so kind, of course he will feed you. If you're in poverty, of course he will help you because it's what God is like. He has a bias to the poor. Absolutely, in Scripture. Is God biased? Yes. Yes. Yes, he is. Matthew's version of the Beatitudes has, gives a bit more te- detail. It says, Happy are the hung- those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the last little part I want to say is I just want to unpack that word righteousness because we, we kind of use it as a religious word. What does it mean? Um, well, it's to do with right relationship really, is the best way I can describe it, but it's a, we could do a whole, you've got a series on one another, you could do a whole series on righteousness, there's huge in there, but my, my paraphrase, if I, if I condense it and summarize it, I'd say it's about right, right relationship with creation, so how we look after our planet, how we look after, interact with the animals, how we look after food, how we feed ourselves, all of those things. A right relationship with ourself, so not thinking of ourselves too highly, 
egotistical or too lowly. Oh, woe is me, I'm useless, I'm no good at this. Being in a right view, a right relationship with yourself. Being in right relationship with those around about you. So whether it's family, friendships, neighbours, kids you sponsor, someone else on the other side of the sea you've never met, but being in good relationship with people. And then fourthly, right relationship with God through Christ. So righteousness is about all of those things, being in, in a good and right relationship across the board. Important point coming up. Ready for this? Really important. Pretty much whenever you see the word righteous in the Bible, it's nearly always linked to generosity. Nearly always. So, if you think of it in this passage, uh, happy are the hungry. Happy are the hungry for right relationships with God because, of course, they'll be satisfied. Why? Because God is generous. And the opposite is true. Whenever you see the word wicked, it's nearly always linked with greed and selfishness. They go together. So we often look at this, and I can put it like this. We might say, here's someone's doing some good things. We might say they're a, they're a, they're a good person. God would say they're a good and generous person because they go together. Think of the story of Zacchaeus. Really familiar story. A lot of people would know this tax collector. He's been stealing from people, taking more than he should, and then he encounters Jesus after climbing a tree. Jesus comes to his house for lunch or tea or dinner or something, comes for some food, and then Zacchaeus says, here and now I'm going to give back four times as much for anyone I've treated. Generosity. And what does Jesus say? Salvation's come to this house. Righteousness has come to this house. Because he accepted Jesus? Yeah. Shown through generosity. That making sense? So then you'll get um, in the Bible, here is a, a rich and wicked man who's um, knocking down his barns to build bigger ones and keeping everything for himself. Wicked and selfish. So it, God hasn't, hasn't got a, a problem with being rich and wealthy. He's got a problem with rich and wealthy and selfish. That makes sense? Yep, really think about those concepts. That's what's really, really important. Um, you know, when I became a Christian, there was a lot in the church that I grew up in which was really centered on the Bible, which was good, but it was really centered on the Bible more like a rule book. So it was really important how I saw Christianity was what you don't do. So don't lie, don't cheat, don't sleep around, don't... Okay, don't do those. So there's all these kind of prohibitions that you don't live like this, then you're seen as a good person, religious person. Making sense? But righteousness isn't about that. Righteous, you know, someone can be really good and not do those things, but actually do very little. Whereas generosity, righteousness, always has a fruit to it. It's not just like being a righteous person. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, they looked righteous, and, and, and Jesus said to them, Actually, you, you look the part, but inside you're filthy. You're cleaning the dishes, you're doing all the stuff for a show, but inside you're not like that at all. You're selfish and you're stingy. And he called them whitewashed tombs. <laughs> he said, you're just dead. And he really pushed it against them. So real true righteousness is actually about what you do do, not what you don't do. If you do the generous things and the good things, you'll find that you then won't do the other things. So if you're generous to the poor... 
you're not neglecting the poor. You know, if I really love my wife, I'm not going to go out and commit adultery, am I? I'm like, they don't go together. I can't say those two things. They just don't fit together. So it's more about how we do live, living a life of generosity, to, and not just in money, in our time, in, in um, how we give of ourselves, all of those things is all to do with righteousness. Okay. Let me wrap up with this. What I want to make really clear is God doesn't accept us on what we do. So if you're generous to the poor and you sponsor 50 kids tonight, um, it's not like, oh no, God, God will love me because I'm doing those things. God accepts us because he loves us. I heard a guy say this, and I love this phrase. God loves you because he 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 loves you and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you because God is love and it's who he is. I like that. So this isn't about brownie points with God. It's just that, that once you start to understand more of how much God loves you, you join his family and then you take on the family likeness and you pass that on to those people around you because that's who God is. Therefore, that's who you are and what you're like. And so my, I have two challenges for you tonight. Um, one is, as you are one of the richest people in the world, as I've already described, um, how are you using your money? You might say, I'm a student. You, you can be a student. You're still one of the richest people on the planet. You are. You are. That's how disproportionate wealth is. We're a minority country. So think about how you might um, use what you have. And you might say, I've only got a part-time job. I was a 15-year-old girl that sponsored Richmond in an African nation. 15-year-old. He now leads a pastor network of over 4,000 pastors in East Africa. Because a 15-year-old girl said, I'll do that. Amazing. Amazing. A friend of mine, when he, he became a Christian when he was 18, when he was at university, he decided to double tithe. So not just give 10%, he wanted to give 20%. And he's done that all of his life ever since. Because he worked out that he thought that actually I've, I, my outgoings are a lot less now than they will be as I get older. So if I can learn to do this now with what I've got and be generous now, then how much more generous can I keep this pattern? He's now in his late 70s, done that all his life. Started when he was a student. If you can grasp, grasp this concept that righteousness is about generosity now and keep that going, you'll see amazing things happen. Not just to help kids in poverty, if you direct finance that way, but your local church here will benefit, your neighbours will benefit, your work colleagues will benefit, because it's about living a life of generosity, because that's what God is like. Happy are the hungry, for they will be filled. Are you hungry? Take some of the analogies that, you know, smelling good food. When you're hungry, just do you remember this? Happy are the hungry. Hunger for him. Hunger for those who are hungry, that they might be satisfied. So it might be, you might think tonight, I can't sponsor a child. How am I going to find $48 a month? Well, maybe two of you could join together. Do that together. Maybe a small group could. I had a guy just three weeks ago 
he just came up and he just counted the number of kids left on the table and he said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Sponsored 14 children. A local business up in, in um, the, the north of the country, they sponsor 50 children. And I've got local schools writing to the kids on their behalf. How cool is that? Another guy, I mentioned him this morning, he came to me after a service where I'd given a challenge. Um, if you can put that next slide up. And he said this to me, he said, um, you've given us a, a challenge, but he said, I, I'm, I was starting to think, I'm going to go home to my wife and I'm going to suggest that we both give our earnings for the first hour we work on a Monday morning. We give that to kids in poverty. So he worked, he was on 45 to $50 an hour. He was going to donate every Monday morning, that first hour of work, he was going to give that away. I just, I liked his thinking. And whether he did or not, I don't know. Uh, I wish I'd taken his number because I'd love to find out the end of that of that story but it's just trying to think what can you do you know don't think about what you can't do think about what you can do to make a difference um kids in poverty people in your locality in your workplace at your uni wherever you are what can you do to um live a life of generosity 648 million let me finish with this is the number of people currently living in, in extreme poverty in the world today but that's numbers going up so that is the number of people that are trying to live on less than $3.11 a day. That's what they've got to live on. That's um, extreme poverty. If you, if you think 648 million, too big a number, what does that look like? Take the population of the UK, the U sorry, the population of the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and let's throw in the USA as well. Add them all together, you're nowhere close. It's a huge, huge, huge number of people. And for every 1% increase in food prices, another 10 million get catapulted into extreme poverty. 1%. Saying it's catastrophic what's happening around the world in the current time. So my challenge is this. $3.11, if you round it up to $3.20, could you put aside $3.20 a day? So that's what people are trying to live on. Could you put that money aside in the nation we're in and say, I want to give that to kids in poverty? If you said, yeah, I can do that, that would sponsor two kids. $48 a month to sponsor a child, which is $1.60 a day. $3.20 would do two kids. Is that something that you might be able to do, or one child, or, group, or, or, or um, clubbing together? I don't know. I'm not a numbers person, but I, because I don't remember numbers very well, I like rounding them. You've probably got that $3.20. That makes it easier. I can remember that. 92 children sponsored here already. If you could sponsor eight kids tonight, you'd hit 100. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Round numbers, easy to remember. Um, so um, as I come to pray, I want you to think about your response tonight. I, um, I don't do this. If you can't afford to sponsor, please don't sponsor. We don't want people going to debt sponsoring. That is really unhelpful. But think about what you can do. Remember like what you don't do? What can you do? Is that within your reach? I could do that. Maybe you think I can't sponsor, but I could be a correspondent and I could write to a child, I'd like to do that. And then when I can sponsor, I'd like to pick up sponsorship. So if you just want to write, we can organise that. There may be some of you tonight you haven't written for a while. I've got all letter writing gear. We've got a Polaroid camera, we'll take a photo for you. Write your letter, we'll even mail it for you. Let's, which I'll make it as easy as possible. There's letter writing prompts at the back as well. So can you think about two things tonight? What's your response to the need that's going in our world in terms of poverty? One response. And two, what's your response in your heart 
to your sphere of influence where you are, in your workplace, your neighbourhood, your family? How can you be generous in that place? Because it's what God is like and we need to be like him. So let me pray as you ponder that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of your son Jesus. Even when he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, your love is lavish and scandalous and generous. Please, Father, forgive us where we are not like that in our love for other people. Father, I pray for us all tonight, myself included, that you'd help us to take another look at ourselves, the resources that you've made available to us, whether it's our, our finances, our time, our gifting, uh, responsibilities and opportunities that are ours. And Father, would you help us to somehow from tonight see a bit more clearly about what we might be able to do to reflect your generosity in a greater way. Father, you know my heart. You know I don't want to pressure anybody. But we want to respond to your spirit. So Father, I just pray that your precious Holy Spirit would touch us, prompt us, remind us, make clear to us what our response should look like tonight, both here in this place and as we go from here. So Father, I thank you for every person here. Thank you for their families. Thank you for their stories so far. Even though for some here, their story might not feel great, but it's still important because you've been there all the time. You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so, Father, I pray that somehow tonight would be a, a, a switch point for people, that life would change from tonight because you're here and because there's an encounter with you. So, Father, thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve your love. Thank you for sending your son to pay the price that we deserved. Thank you for the gift of life and grace that's ours freely received and freely given. And please, Father, help us live in the light of that. And all this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.